Well, thanks to Brittany. She is a part of our Port Clinton campus sharing Ruth chapter 2 with us today, and that's where we're going to be today. And as Jeremy said, if you don't have a Bible, we have some in the racks at the back of this room. Please take one, borrow one. If you don't own a Bible and you need one, then I encourage you to take that home with you, make that yours, and, and, and hopefully uh, you will use it. And if you've missed the previous couple of weeks here, we're in the middle of a series on Ruth, and this is week three. If you've missed the first couple of weeks, here's what you've missed so far. We've learned three things. The first thing is that God's providence, his care, his love, his work is in the background of this story. From the beginning of the book of Ruth, the author is reminding us that God is present in this story. And although God doesn't speak directly to Ruth or to any of the characters in the story, there's no doubt that his presence is with them in a real way. His fingerprints of care, of sovereignty, of redemption, all of those things are all over this story as we're going to continue to see even today. The second thing that we've learned in this story is that Naomi is expressing herself through lament. I, I think of Naomi even on a day like today, Mother's Day. Naomi lost both of her sons, and, and she's lost her husband. Her, her life is filled with hurt, with grief, with loss, and, and she expresses that grief and loss through lament, which is really a, a way of saying that, that we are trusting God in this messy this messy tension between our hurts and our loss, but also our trust in Him and who He is. This is lament. But then we learned a third thing in this story so far, and that is that Ruth and Naomi are headed back to Bethlehem. This is Naomi's hometown, and they're heading back. Naomi even tells Ruth, you don't have to go. You can stay here. Stay in your old life. And, and Ruth says, no, no, no. I, I, I want to go with you. I, I, she leaves her old life behind. She puts her faith in Yahweh, the true God of Israel, and she accompanies Naomi as they're headed back to Naomi's homeland of Bethlehem. So if you're just catching up, Please, I encourage you, this week, read Ruth chapter 1, um, because today we're in Ruth chapter 2, and then next week we'll be in chapter 3. Today, I want to start in verse 2 of chapter 2. Now, let's look at this together. One day, Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, All right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters, and as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz. I underline or circle Boaz. He is the next main character in our story that we're going to look at today. He's the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech, who had passed away. So there's a law in Israel in this time, and the law states that, that if you reap a harvest that you must leave behind a portion of that harvest for those who are poor and needy. Well, Naomi and Ruth are definitely in need, and so Ruth goes to the field to gather grain, which so happened, God's providence, anyone? So happened to be the field of the man, the third main character of our story named Boaz. 
Now we see in verse 1, the preceding verses here, uh, uh, that, that we learn a little bit about Boaz and who he is. And this is what it says. It says, there's a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. Boaz. I really, there's only one word to describe Boaz. This guy's a stud. Amazing man. This man is just a phenomenal man. And, and there, there's really only a way to describe him is that. And in the story here, it tells us a couple of pieces of information about Boaz that are critical. One, we know that, that Boaz is a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. Now, this is important for many reasons, some that we're going to cover later on in the weeks. But for today, it's important to know that just simply for the fact that this is more critical evidence that God's providence is part of this whole story. He's working throughout the background of all of this. But then the second critical part of information that we see here is that Boaz is wealthy and he's influential. Now, I think we all know when someone is wealthy or influential that this can go one of two ways, right? Either, either that person can use their wealth and their influence to, to lord it over people they can be selfish, they can be controlling, they can be proud, they can belittle others, they can control others with their wealth and influence, or option B is that they can use it to bless people and serve people. Thankfully here we see that, that Boaz chooses option B and he uses his wealth and influence to bless people and to serve people. And this is what it says in verse 4. While she, that's Ruth, was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Now, this sounds kind of funny because I assume in most of your workplaces... Your boss probably does not greet you this way. I doubt when you come into work in the morning, your boss says, the Lord be with you. And I doubt you respond with, the Lord bless you. In fact, I know some of your workplaces, and probably it's far less flattering, and in fact, you probably can't repeat what is said in this place today. But for Boaz here, this phrase that he uses, the Lord be with you, it tells us something in this story that's critical. It tells us that, that this is evidence that God is at the center of Boaz's life. Everything that Boaz does, from how he views his wealth and his, and his influence to how he views his work to how he views his employees and his workers, all of those things are done in Boaz's heart with the humble position of wanting to honor, wanting to glorify God, and wanting to care and love for people. Can you imagine working for someone like that? That would be a game changer for many of us, to have a boss like that. Who knows, maybe we can start a new trend in our workplaces. Let me know how that goes. Um, but Boaz's mission in life here is to love people, and to love God. And he notices Ruth, and he asked her this question, this question that I, wanna, I, I really want to look at because it changes Ruth's life forever, and quite honestly, this question should change our lives forever as well. And he says it in the next couple of verses. Then Boaz asked his foreman, 
Who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, she is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. Now, this question, who does she belong to? I want you to underline that, circle that, put stars by that, whatever you have to do, because this question that he asked is that important. Because the audience here, the Jewish audience that would have been listening to this story, they understood why Boaz was asking this question, because Ruth didn't have much going for her. In fact, as I was studying Pastor J.D. Greer, he said it this way. He gives us a couple of hints as to why Ruth has some cultural strikes against her. The first strike she has is Ruth is a Moabite. And, and the Jews regarded these people as cursed people. The Moabites were the offspring of an incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughters. And as a result, these are people that, that are, are considered to be cursed. And we learned even in chapter 1 that, that these people, they had turned away from God. They were idol worshipers. They wanted nothing to do with God. And as a result, God even told his people, hey, stay away from Moab. Don't marry Moabites. And yet Ruth is a Moabite. Strike one against Ruth. But then we learn the second thing is that Ruth is also a widow. And this means that she loses her value in this patriarchal society. For a woman in this culture, her value, her significance would have been tied to her husband. When Ruth lost her husband... That means she also lost all value. She lost all significance. She had none of those things. Ruth had nothing. Strike two against Ruth. Then we learn a third thing about Ruth. She's poor. In this culture, again, they would have viewed this as a sign of God's judgment upon her. Ruth had nothing. She had no significance. She had no value. She was a foreigner. She had no money. And this is why Ruth is, is gleaning from the field in the first place. Because she had nothing. Ruth is viewed as an outsider and as an outcast. And she left her people, uh, and the Moabites, and she came to Bethlehem. And yet, even though she's in Bethlehem, she's still considered a foreigner who is widowed and who is poor. And as a result, the Jews would have wanted nothing to do with this woman. Nothing at all. And then Boaz comes along and he asks this question. Who does she belong to? Everyone would have answered this question the same way. And their answer should make your skin crawl. And because when I heard this, I just... I shifted in my seat a little bit with how uncomfortable I was. When he asked them this question, they all would have responded with, this woman belongs to no one. She's nothing. A nobody. Ruth is alone. That just boggles my mind to think about. This woman is alone. Except for Boaz. This is why he's so amazing, because he doesn't find the answer to this question acceptable. He would have not answered this question this way. Why? Because 
He doesn't separate people into categories. In Boaz's worldview, there's no such thing as outsiders or insiders because God is at the center of Boaz's life. So all people, all people are insiders. They, they, he sees people who have value, who have significance, who deserve to be loved and cared for because God values people and cares for them. And so he's going to too. God, people are made in the image of God God so loved the world. There's no exception to this rule. All people are loved. And this is Boaz's worldview. And we see evidence of this view as we see how he treats and how he values Ruth when he first meets her. In fact, let's look at the next couple of verses and just listen to how he responds to Ruth in verses 8 and 9. He says this, Boaz went over and said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter. Stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Just write acceptance next to that. She's accepted. And then he said, stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. That is companionship. He gives her acceptance. He gives her companionship. And then he goes on. He says, I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly protection. Acceptance, companionship, protection. Write that word next to there. And then he says, and when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. Refreshment. He offers her refreshment. You hear the kindness, the care, the hospitality that Boaz gives this complete stranger. Everyone in this culture, in this town, would have ignored this woman. They would have treated her as someone who is invisible, who didn't exist. But Boaz does the exact opposite. He goes above and beyond to treat this woman with love and care and dignity because she deserved it. So when Boaz asked this question, who does she belong to? His answer would have resounded, she belongs to us. Why? Because she belongs to God. And so she belongs to us. I, I just, as I thought through this for a moment this week, I want to know if I could ask you a question. And this is for Christ followers in this room. If you're a Christ follower, I wonder, do we categorize people as outsiders and insiders? Do we do this as Christ followers? And I think initially we say no, we don't. But, but if we dive in a little bit deeper, I wonder, what about people who have less money than us? What about people with a different skin color than us? What about people with a def different sexual orientation than us? What about people from a different country? Or people who might even have different beliefs than us? You start, you start really digging in and thinking about that, and I wonder, are we only drawn to people who are just like us, or are we welcoming people in and showing them worth and showing them dignity, not because we agree with everything, but because they are made in the image of God and they are loved and valued by him, and therefore we should value and love them as well. Boaz 
and Jesus himself, they, he, they only saw people as insiders, never outsiders. I wonder, as Christ followers, how are we doing with this? And then I wonder this question for your own personal life. Who does he or she belong to truly? You know, our society saw Ruth as someone that was invisible, someone else's problem. And I wonder sometimes if we're more like the world than the church than we really want to admit. Or are we like Boaz and, and Jesus himself who saw Ruth and sees people as someone who belongs to him? They belong to us. You know, Mother's Day is the perfect litmus test for this and how we answer this question. Because like the video pointed out earlier to us, you know, today is a day of celebration for mothers, yes, but today is also a day that can be incredibly difficult, to say the least, for some people. And each of us in this room have an opportunity to answer this question like Boaz. For those who are struggling today or those who are hurting today, are we making them feel like outsiders, an outcast, or are we valuing them as insiders? And this opportunity goes far, far beyond mothers. For instance, let me ask this question. Who does the widow or widower belong to? They belong to us. Who does the orphan belong to? To us. Who does the couple that struggles with infertility belong to? They belong to us. Who does the divorcee belong to? Us. About the grieving mom or the hurting child, all the answers to these questions should be they belong to us. Why? Because they belong to God. And that means they belong to us. And these thoughts that I'm giving you, they're not to just tug on your heartstrings. That is not the point. Because if you just come and you hear this and you say, well, that was kind of good, I like that. And then you walk away and you leave and nothing changes, then it was all for nothing. So I, I want to leave you today with a couple of practical things that we can do that can help us put this into action today. Just like Ruth was a foreigner and Boaz welcomed her in, we get the opportunity to do that as a church in an amazing way. We live in such a unique part of the country where each summer the world comes to us. We don't even have to go to them. They come here. People from all over the world that look different than us, think different than us, believe different than us, they come here to work. Every summer, they work in the, in the farms, they work at Kalahari, they work at Cedar Point, they work all over, and they come here in our communities. And that is why we as a church, as a chapel, are, are a part of something called the Global Friendship Partners. And this is an awesome thing because as, as these students, these kids come here to work in the summer, they just, they want to work, they want to experience American culture they, they want to be a part of our churches and our families, and we, we have the opportunity to, to bring them in. And this, isn't, this doesn't mean you have to change your lives. This, what this means is that they are a part of just what you normally do. If you go shopping, believe me, these kids love to go shopping. If you grill out, ask them to grill out. If you go to a movie, bring them along. Ask them to come to church with you. They just want to be a part of what you're doing. You don't even have to change what you're doing. Just do it with them. 
and, and, and we can invite them here. This is a fun, practical way to say to those that are foreigners, you, you belong to us. This is where you should be. And so there's a table in the atrium, you'll notice, after the service with some information and some applications to pick up for how you can be a part of this. I encourage you, check it out. At least get some information to see how we can be a part of that. That is one practical way we can do this. Another thing, though, to say is that all people, and I mean all people, belong to us because they're made in the image of God. It's on us. And I say us, not me. I can't. I can't do it all. It's on all of us in this room to to love people regardless of who they are because God loves us. And this is one reason that that we've launched uh, new vision routes for the year 2023 moving forward. And our very first vision route we have is to build a culture of family. It's our dream as our church here that, that everyone who came through these doors would belong, that they would feel noticed, that they would feel like an insider. Imagine if all of us, Every single one of us who walked through the doors of this place every single week, we looked around and we made it our mission to notice people, to notice things, to know things about them, and so that we could value people the way that Boaz valued Ruth and the way that Jesus values us. Our church would change. We would become a place where everyone who walks through these doors would feel home. That is our that is our goal, our vision. And I, I want to close sharing this. I've seen this in a practical way. It is incredible. Um, it was about a year ago that a, a man and his wife, they came here and, and just unexpectedly they found out she was sick and in two months she passed away. And they sat in the same spot every single week. And, and COVID came and he stopped coming for a bit, but about a month and a half ago, I saw him show back up. Only this time he was alone and he sat in that same spot with an empty chair. Oh, it just ripped my heart out. And it was so cool to see another couple in our church that was sitting on the opposite side of the room they, they heard a little of his story, and they said, nope, not happening. And they got up, and they moved over, and they sat next to him, and they've committed to sitting next to him every single week so that he doesn't have an empty seat next to him. This is, this is family. And this is what it means when we say, he belongs to us, and he deserves value and love Every single one of us do. And we can play a part in that. Who does he belong to? Us. It's time we start being like Boaz and Jesus and we welcome everyone in as an insider. I say, Lord, help us with this. So let me close in prayer. And I want to pray just this verse 12 in chapter 2 over you. If you would stand with me and let me, let me pray these words that Boaz spoke to Ruth 
It's in verse 12. He said, May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, may he reward you fully for what you have done. That is protection, Lord. Thank you for that security. Thank you that we can rest under your wings. Lord, And may we, as Christ followers, as your church, may we, Lord, come around people and give this to them, pointing them to you. Lord, I thank you and I love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, happy Mother's Day. Stop at the table and see you next week.